0: You're listening to the jeff rubin jeff rubin show i'm jeff rubin here this week with nicholas Gerwich creator of the incredibly good let me try again <laughs> so sorry no i think it's that's interesting no we should stick with incredible <laughs> it is incredibly good right
1: um i i would actually just take off the incredible it's just okay i think it's a feat when a comic is good so i'm fine with that
0: i think it's a feat when anything is good
1: uh, movies are so easy to make good.
0: I think it's much more miraculous when a movie comes out good because there's so many people collaborating on it and then there's money and the studio is fighting against it, whereas a comic is just uh, usually the product of one, maybe two persons, so it's, it's a lot more pure.
1: I guess it depends on your outlook. I think, like, millions of dollars and lots of eyes should make a movie more prone to being good. But I don't know, it really it depends on the scenario.
0: I'm not sure I ever got through introducing you. Uh, on the phone with me today is Nicholas Gerwich, creator of the Perry Bible Fellowship. Uh, Nick, you are the second guest I have had on this show that I know through Scott Weiner, my friend who does, you know, Scott's Pizza Tours. But uh, you went to college with him, and I remember I would visit him then, and he'd show me this comic that his friend was doing. And it was obvious even then that it, it, you were really onto something and that it was uh, a cut above other stuff that was even being done by professionals. In college, was that the first time you were working on a comic? That
1: was the first time that I took it seriously. And you know what? I'm going to go out and say this on record. You were the first person to publish it outside of the Daily Orange.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's such an honor. The, uh, it's more I- than
1: interesting. It's a, mo- it's a monument to you. If if, uh, I can flatter myself by saying that.
0: I published it um, because I was, I think at the time, the head writer or the editor or something of Froth, which is the Penn State humor magazine. And we had this idea that we would try to publish humor from other colleges by other students, too. And uh, I think you were the first person to reach out to. I'm not sure we ever did it again. It may have just been an excuse to publish your work. But you were very generous and let us run it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you got where you got to today. Like, I, it really emboldened
1: me seeing those comics in Froth. Really? Uh, I don't
0: know if that's really the case. But, I mean, it was, you know, it doesn't take much to embolden me. I saw those comics in there, and I was like, cool. These are the same comics that are now in these books that have won awards and are very popular. Uh, and they're the same comics. It was clear even then that they were incredibly funny.
1: Yeah, but... There's a big difference between someone saying, oh, you know, that's funny, man.
0: Like, in in a hallway at a college, and then someone saying, hey,
1: I would like to put these in a compendium that I want to share at my campus.
0: You notice I went back to incredibly funny because I I don't even know how to begin describing the comic. How do you describe it when people ask you to? I'd rather people not think of them as, like,
1: funnies. Like, the minute something's out to make you laugh, you know, it's not as funny as it could be. Like... I don't know. personally,'m i personally, going to go I, I want to say I don't believe in comedy. There's drama that makes you laugh and there's drama that makes you cry.
0: Expl- explain that a little further. What, what's Billy Madison? I mean, that's really sloppily done drama,
1: but at times they, they cram the drama into these, into these fine moments where it's so powerful that you've got to laugh at it. I just when I laugh at something, I'm almost positive it's because it has the same substance as something that's dramatic. I
0: think it's just about the way something's presented that makes it either funny or serious. It's very rare that you get a laugh from a joke where someone says, hey, want to hear a joke? Yeah, I'm not a fan of like jokey jokes or even,
1: I've even noticed lately that I laugh harder at movies that aren't comedies. Like I love a joke that's like in the middle of a, of a, something really dramatic. There's a couple good gags in Schindler's List that always make me laugh out loud.
0: Really? Like what?
1: I think um, there's a scene where Schindler hires like nine secretaries. Like I'm into that movie so much when I'm watching it and then that joke hits and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe they made this funny joke. And there's another scene where I think a guy says, he actually says the words, "Um, how could it get any worse? And someone says, Sure it could. And then, like, all these people walk in the room that they're that they're living in to make the situation worse, which is something that you'll see on Saturday morning cartoons.
0: Yeah, it's a very classic joke. It's a totally classic joke, and then they do it in Schiller's
1: List, and I think it's, like, that's the best place I've ever seen it fly. It's kind of funny in that movie. I just like it when people have the balls to be funny, like, outside of the, you know... This is a joke. Parentheses.
0: But don't you think that when people look at your comic, surely they're expecting a joke? They they think in that last panel, there's going to be something funny that makes them laugh. Yeah. Does that? Yeah. You sound disappointed. Well, I mean, there's a pattern.
1: I've, I've built them up to expect that. Honestly, though, there's just like this moment where you've you're counting on the story being finished. The story's got to
0: complete itself, and that's that's usually, you know, laugh-inducing. Would you ever do a serious Perry Bible film? So far, they all have s- something that I think could be construed as a joke. Would you ever do one that you didn't think was funny at all? I'm going to come off really unpleasant if we talk about this, because I have so many weird theories. But, like, every one of them is... Every one of them's a little drama. Comics seem like a bad medium for pure drama. By that, I mean short, three, four-panel comics. I don't know exactly how you would qualify the size. Obviously, graphic novels and stuff like that are great, but when I think about dramatic comics that tried to do something in the same format you do it in, I think of like Prince Valiant and Mark Trail and that kind of thing.
1: Do you remember Matt Solda's comic oh, I from love the Dio.
0: Yeah, Matt uh, is our friend uh, who... I. Matt, Scott, and I went to high school, so uh, when I was visiting in Syracuse, I'd be visiting and I'd stay with Matt and Scott. And I'm so glad you bring that up. Matt did a comic. Uh, what was it called? Do you remember? It was in the Daily Orange along with yours. Uh, do you remember what it was it's called? Beautifully,
1: it had a beautiful title. It was like, for, like Our Natural Friends or something. It was something beautifully straight-faced. Uh,
0: it was a comic that was kind of a parody of like a Mark Trail type thing. Uh, where it was like an animal, and it would present a fun fact about the animal. But over the course of the semester, it started off with, you know, the badger and uh, the deer. And oh, it got progressively weirder into non and into just made-up animals and, like, sci-fi type stuff. But it did it very gradually over the course of a semester. I thought it was brilliant.
1: Yeah, occasionally they would be dramatic, though, and they would end a comic by saying, you know, this creature could you know, bore an inch into your skin.
0: But that's what I remember uh, whenever I went to Syracuse. Uh, there were It seemed like this incredibly uh, talented collective of people because there was Scott, there was Matt, there was you, uh, there were the Spinto Band dudes, Ra Ra Raya, and, and I'd never even met your cousin Dan, who I've now seen every day for five years, uh, and David Young. And how do you look back at your college experience? I think we probably all know each other because we were, you know,
1: Drifting in a common way away from what most kids were at that college. I would say 95% of the kids, you know, were those um, frat types, fraternity types. Actually, David Young was in a fraternity, so I can't really say that, but he was uh, very comedically inclined. We, I don't know, I think just like minded people come together. I don't think we were, there's more funny people at that college than anywhere else, but I think. There's so many unpleasant people around that, you know. So, like, certain people had to drift together, had to find one another.
0: Even though uh, the comic is done exclusively by you, in the book, I noticed that uh, you dedicated to three people who you worked with uh, all the time on it. And it seems like you're a very collaborative person. I can remember. Um times where you would send out kind of beta versions of comics as they were in progress and ask for feedback to, you know, kind of get the joke where you wanted it.
1: It's kind of always been that way. I think the very first comic that I did, even as an experiment, was um, a collaboration with Dan Wrights where we had two comics, like, intermingling. I often wonder if that was, like, the spiritual predecessor to the PBF because it had, like, it was a one comic called SU Life and another comic called Frank and Wormdigger, and they and one would subvert the other, and I, I guess it was about this collision of two worlds that, and I that did carry into the Perry Bible Fellowship in many ways, and even right from the get-go, I was working with Albert Burney and Evan, on figuring out where those first comics had to twist, and yeah, it's it's been. a a touchstone of the PBF ever since that I like to just get other eyes on it. Make sure it's really funny.
0: Is that unique amongst comic artists?
1: It might be. I know Gary Larson prides himself on not, you know, working with anybody else and, you know, not taking a ton of notes from his editors, but I don't know. You'd have to talk to people. I think it should be less unique because, so often, great ideas come from every which way.
0: It's also, with comedy, um, usually you have to screen it or you got to test it out. you got to see how people laugh at it. And as soon as you put it in front of an audience, uh, you'll, you'll immediately see, even just uh, if you're not even staring at them directly, you can feel them reacting to it, kind of. And you can feel
1: and- it in their vibrations,
0: man. And especially if they don't laugh at it, you can find out what it needs. I think as
1: quickly as, like, a minute turnaround... I've shown someone something had them not laugh seen the particular way in which they didn't laugh and then found myself able to conjure up something that would help them out.
0: You would work on a joke I, in the few times I was exposed to this process you would you would work on a joke and then just refine it over and over again until you got to the point where it was perfect and sometimes this process would take weeks or months. What was the comic that kind of took you the longest to get right? Oh, the longest to get right.
1: You know what? The Weeaboo comic took a while. I think that spent like a, a summer. I was working at Syracuse, actually, and that spent a summer like being tossed around my coworkers. And they joked that it was going to be some masterful PBF because of how long, how I would bring it out every day. But um probably the one that I just did, the penguin one occurs to me, is the one that's been in development for a long time. It's brand new, but I I, I looked at a sketch uh like a, a sketch that was probably four years old.
2: And I only just
1: recently realized, you know, that you know, this leopard seal should fly in at the end. Prior to that moment I hadn't seen the leopard seal ending.
0: You know, on the last episode of the show, we had uh, Klaus Toyberon, who designed the board game Settlers of Catan. It's a very similar process, where he, he said at one point he put the game down for six months and he didn't touch it, and then he came back and he had new ideas for it. It's the best uh, creative process in the world, is taking that
1: pause and having that break, or if you have friends that you trust, having them take a look and bringing their fresh perspective to it. It's like my favorite thing for creative writing. And the longer you can wait, I mean, if you can afford to wait three to four years, it only helps.
0: Does this have anything to do with how infrequently Perry Bible Fellowship is now printed? In 2008, you kind of took a break from it. I would like to think it has nothing
1: to do with it, but you know what? It probably does. Really long gestation periods plus really long output or really infrequent output, they probably have something to do with each other. Um, I don't know. I don't, I think it more has something to do with the fact that I'm busy doing a lot of other things.
0: What are some of the other things you've been working on?
1: This week, it's been a lot of writes and rewrites for a cartoon show that um, we're hoping to get Cartoon Network more interested in, my writing partners and I. And um, in the past months, it's been a a live-action comedy TV show. And then you know I love movies. I uh, I write a lot of movies in my spare time
0: too. So you are working on TV shows. You're working on movies. Are you aware that if Cartoon Network picks up this TV show, they're gonna expect one every week? Um.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We we'd be able to have them all written up prior to going forward. And you know what? I I can work fast when I have to. For any possible employers that are listening, I can work. <laughs> Ad man
0: when I want to. Have you been through this process before of pitching shows to networks, and how has that gone?
1: Uh, we just did a week in L.A. doing meetings, and it's um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun when people uh, start to understand them.
0: Do you find your comic opens up a lot of doors for you in L.A.? It It does, but, I mean, the methods... That kind of humor also closes a lot of doors, too. Like, I think PBF humor is a little
1: bit challenging, and... It's dark. A lot of weirdness goes into it and it's very dark and some of it's a little bit miserable. So I worked with a lot of um on a lot of possible T V projects over the years and at the end of the day the projects are almost like a little bit too weird. And so I had, I up, up until this week where we were in LA I've had very low faith in television being able to embrace a really weird idea. But um, we'll see. Maybe there's hope. For me, there's hope.
0: Do you find that frustrating coming from comics? This world where you can draw anything you want, you can create anything you want. No one's going to stop you. You are, and you had complete creative control.
1: Uh, yeah, it does spoil a person. Like I, I think I'm, I might be a little tough to work with in that regard. Because when I undertake something, I want to be able to. Uh, control the actors as I would control you know a character that I'm drawing but um I'm learning a lot especially working on trails of tarnation um, about you know how to generate performances and how to how to work with people really well and that's that's one reason that I drifted away from the comics is that i I wasn't working with people the way I wanted to like um I think with the comic you spend like Most of your hours alone, like, working without people, and it's,
0: I don't know, it just felt not as exciting as other things I want to do in this life. Are you interested in just writing these shows? It sounds like you also want to direct them. And just knowing you and uh, seeing the, how, you know, how detail-oriented you are, I imagine you want to produce these things and really be responsible for the whole product, too. I really,
1: I really want to make movies. I've got a, a bunch of movies
0: that I've got to make before yeah. uh, I leave the planet. What's stopping you? Money?
1: What's stopping me? Um, maybe Courage? Maybe I need more courage. If I was properly insane, I would just start making them. But I I feel like I need a little bit of money to make them properly. And I also would like to be a a really
0: good director when it comes time to direct them. What movies do you see now that you think, I want to make those kind of movies? Or are there no movies you see today that you want to make? I'm going to bring
1: up Pixar, because I know you like Pixar. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're the most responsible filmmakers on the planet. They tell complete stories. And the kind of character transformations and transferences of truth that are in those films are among the finest going
0: on. I love Pixar. Who doesn't? But did you see Cars 2?
1: Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this statement to apply to the ones I've seen. And I haven't seen Cars 2. Are you going to? Oh, uh, yeah, I think eventually I'll probably maybe I'll do it'll be a double feature. I'll see that in Cars One at the same time.
0: Cars One's not bad. You should check out Cars One. It's pretty good. Say what you will about them i I feel like they the way they worked on them, they probably had a lot of fun and they paid
1: attention to a lot of details, even if they missed some you know some bigger, broader points because they were doing a favorite elasticter. They probably
0: really paid attention to a lot of important details. I can't be the only person who thinks that a Pixar-style movie written by the man who put together the Perry Bible Fellowship is a very exciting prospect. I um, I would love to get there eventually. I you know what I yeah. wrote, I wrote a little thing
1: that I wanted to pitch to Pixar. I wrote like um, you know how they do those little animated shorts before the film? Yeah, sure. I've got one. I think I might just draw it up and like bring it to their front gate. I might just, like, give some paintings to them or something to try and sell it. You must have fans over there now. I tried to, um... I almost snuck in there with my friend Margaret one time, and, um... We, uh... We were able to get in, ultimately, because we were invited, but, um... I, I know a couple people over there, and I strangely, I met Pete Doctor when he visited Rochester somehow. I by random chance, but um, I gushed when I met him.
0: I, I just assume everyone from there is the nicest, coolest person in the world. I think that happens when you're doing nice, cool, and amazing things. And you're
1: incredibly successful at I don't know if he it. would call me his friend at this point. I probably was weird. I was probably weird to him.
0: Uh, before this interview, I did something I haven't done in too long. I took out the Perry Bible Fellowship almanac, sat down on the chair... And just kind of flip through it, and I forgot how much I love uh that product, just flipping through it as a book and I remember uh seeing you over the years, and I saw you at one point, and it was you know it was clear you had to put out a book uh the comics were so good and so popular, obviously it was something that had to be done, and you were working on it, and it still took years to get out because you were working so hard on putting together the book. What did you do beyond just you know taking the comics you had done and putting them on a piece of paper. Are you referring to Sweeto, or are you referring to The Almanac? Let's start with Sweeto, which was the first book, The Trials of Colonel Sweeto. That was the one where I think um, I caught you a few times during the development process. Right. I
1: spent a long time on the cover and the interior, like, additional pages, but there was also a lot of, like, finding the comics. A lot of the comics were missing... Uh, I had to scan a lot of the comics and color them.
0: Why did you choose, uh, Colonel Sweeto, which is an individual comic you had done, why did you choose to make that the cover of the book? How'd you pick that one?
1: Is it? I think it's a habit of Gary Larson's to name the book after one particular comic, and I knew because that comic was so fun to draw that I wouldn't mind doing a cover based on that one. I mean, I just, I love those colors. I I think it might have just been an opportunity to paint more colors. I don't think it's the funniest one, and it's by no means the most popular, but it, uh, it turned out to be a stroke of terrible luck because Hasbro took offense to the Candyland theme and they sent Dark Horse a cease and desist letter, almost like immediately. It was very sad. Like right after it sold all these books, they wrote the letter and we had to uh, get it off the shelves.
0: So what you're saying is I should hold on to mine because one day I can sell it on eBay.
1: I've noticed that there's, like, a couple being sold. There's a few being sold online still, and they're, they're kind of priced more than the cover price at this point. I assume maybe someday it'll be a collector's item.
0: I actually have the uh, one you published in college. I guess you self-published, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's,
1: uh, that's photocopied.
0: And I have a copy of that, and I've seen it listed on Amazon for $100 or something like that. That one's a collector's item, too. I want to know who who got rid of theirs. Who didn't like it that they are getting rid of it? You should check on Amazon. At least a while ago, you know, you searched for Perry Bible Fellowship, and I don't know how they gave it, like, an ISBN number or something, but it shows up there.
1: That's sad. That saddens me. Although there was one kid who bought two and said he would hold on to one for a, uh, now that I'm thinking about this, this kid Andrew said he was going to buy two in case they became collector's items. Maybe it, it's him.
0: It was him. It could have been him. Do you have a preference in in your mind? Is the book the way to experience the comics, or does it not matter if someone reads it online or wherever?
1: Um, I like book just because there's, you know, not other websites
0: behind it. You know, you might be able to have
1: more uh, of your attention devoted to it. So, yeah, you I'll know, say book.
0: Just because of the experience of reading it, not so much the tactile quality.
1: Uh, you know what, though, too, the book, Seeing it on a page is nice. I think for some reason you can see a lot more on a page than you can through a series of pixels.
0: One thing I remember uh, the first time I saw you working on a book is you were telling me about it, and you were telling me about all the new stuff you were going to do, and then, because and you, your eyes really lit up, you were like, and red ribbon bookmark built into the spine. I was, I was pretty excited with you that. You were so excited course. about that. But I'm then so it's not about it. its not on Colonel Sweeto, but then uh, the Perry Bible Fellowship Almanac, which is your second book, which I'm assuming uh, was to fill the hole created by pulling Sweeto off the shelf. Is that correct? Yeah, it was. That book read bookmark.
1: Uh, I wonder if someone yanked your red
0: bookmark out of your Sweeto, because the Sweeto edition had it, too. Oh, did it? Someone must have yanked yours out. Oh, maybe it is still. Maybe it is there. Or maybe it's tucked in there on a on a later page. Hold on, take I'm, another look. I'm gonna check. Hold on a second. I'm gonna look. It's right behind me. I would think it would still be there. Maybe it got yanked. One sec. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, all my copies have it. Uh, I, Nick, I have. I'm returned from the bookshelf, and I'm flipping through, and there is no red bookmark in mine. Huh. I I wish I was the one that you could ask about this, but I
1: I don't know how to account for that.
0: But I I turn my head, and I see it just gloriously streaming out of the almanac. It looks great over there. You know what? If you send me that copy, I'll I'll gladly get you a new one. I'll reimburse you and get you one proper. Oh, no, no, no. You're just going to sell it on eBay. No, no. I've got 70 of them with bookmarks. Why were you so excited about the bookmark? What, what was it about that? Um, I think you get to... Well, I, Do I really have to explain this?
1: It's awesome.
0: It's really cool. You can go back to your favorite comic. You
1: could highlight your favorite comic. It could look like a
0: Bible. It oh, really is that cool. where those usually go?
1: I think Bibles have lots of bookmarks.
0: In the back of the book, in the back of the almanac, you put a lot of rejected comics. Are there, and some of which, by the way, I think are quite good. I would put Turtle City, and there's another one back there. I was just looking at them.
1: Ballerina? Or uh, Ballerina Slippers?
0: Yeah, that one's pretty good. One. People like that one a lot. I feel a little bad about that one being back there. Ballerina Slippers or Turtle City? Turtle City's trash,
1: but Ballerina Slippers.
0: <laughs> the ballerina Slippers, you have, because um, you have notes about why they weren't put in the book or why they weren't part of the main collection. And for Ballerina Slippers, I thought you had a pretty valid point that, in your mind, the kid didn't know what he was doing, but it was usually being read that he did. I just, I I didn't like
1: people reading it that way. I would hate that
0: it would be disseminated online with that attitude. That is kind of, like, scary and weird. But uh, Turtle City, on the other hand, a masterpiece.
1: My brother Alex loves
0: all um, the PBS, but he's like,
1: you know what, Nick, that's the only one I don't
0: like. (laughs) That is all I need to be here to be ashamed of it. Are there any that you did publish that you regret and kind of wish you could move to that back section and explain a little more? I've actually got a number of
1: them that didn't even make it into the lost section because I was so ashamed of them. There's some nasty, like, D.O. garbage that didn't make it in.
0: I didn't even put it in the
1: lost section because it was so fucking lost.
0: (laughs) What is that level where you have, like, you have deleted material and then you have deleted material that doesn't even make the DVD? yeah
1: well, the deleted material has has been carefully selected to like be you know deleted material friendly and to like be obtuse in some really funny ways but there i think the second t b f ever was very misogynistic according to some people
0: which one's that
1: I don't know if you'll recall it I don't know if anyone ever passed it on to you, but it had um a uh It had planets in it. And in the first frame, Saturn says to Jupiter, Jupiter's drinking a beer, by the way. Saturn says to Jupiter, it's been three light years since you said you loved me. And then there's like a beat. And then Jupiter says, honey, light years are a measure measure of distance. Maybe I would have if you weren't so goddamn stupid. And she just like hangs her like Saturn ring. It's kind of a rough comic. I thought it was pretty funny like initially because, you know, light like here is it's so easy to confuse the fact that they're not you know, it's not distance. Or no, they are distance, it's not time. Right. It's easy to forget that they're not about time. So I thought that, you know, this is good. this is funny. I wrote it with uh, Albert. I thought it was good,
0: but then I had a girl tell me, you know, this is wrong. I guess the joke is that you're you're kind of laughing with Jupiter a little bit. It's a little bit too much with Jupiter. But some of your uh, earlier stuff is some, some of the best ones. Uh, like, some, you know, you really came out of the gate swinging.
1: Uh, which ones are you looking
0: at? Oh, I don't know. Uh, let me, let me, there's, uh, I and I remember this one being in Froth, the puppy wish, is that what it's called, where he wishes for the puppy?
1: That's actually year two. I don't think that's one of the, that's not one of the first
0: ones. Instant bacon? Instant bacon with the pig? That's like the
1: 24th PBS.
0: I see. But usually uh, you can you, you can kind of very easily, probably more easily than with some other comics, tell the early ones from the later ones because your drawing style had evolved so much. Or
1: it appeared to.
0: Yeah, I guess you got more experimental. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started
1: drawing them larger, too.
0: Of all the styles you experimented with, there's uh, the gory one. That looks like uh, Edward Gorey. There's, uh, there's an 8-bit one that's a punch-out parody. There's a uh, Robert Crumb one. Some look like kids' books. There's one that looks... I just was looking the Robin Hood one that looks kind of like Prince Valiant. Was there any that was a particularly difficult style to emulate? I think I
1: had to do... I actually had like drawing rehearsals for a few of them. I think the... Um, there's one that has a title that's in Chinese, and I used uh, a Chinese water brush. And I just kind of, like, practiced a day before I even drew that just to make sure I could kind of, like, convey, you know, the balanced and sensitive brush strokes that Chinese water painting usually features. So um, that was a challenge. And the the gory thing was a challenge, too. There was a lot of um, failure going on before I, like, really got in the character for that. But well, think... once you get your pen in character, it like it can flow, I've noticed. Like once your wrist finds the voice, it can just go with it, I've noticed.
0: Is it like acting? It's
1: a lot like acting. It's just like acting, actually. I've wanted someone to ask me that. You're asking me that. Oh, it's, it's so much like acting. How so? Because you kind of just get in this mind frame where you understand how you want, how you can get your energy, um you know, vibrating at a certain frequency that it's gonna convey the mood that's inside your your heart.
0: In all of this love of movies, did you ever consider acting? Oh, uh, I love acting. I'm in, I'm in the next
1: episode of Trials of the Tarnation.
0: I was wondering, yeah. Did you ever do any other form of comedy uh, stand-up?
1: Uh, I've done stand-up at Syracuse. I did it once. Um, I made the mistake of planning only one joke, and then um, I just kind of thought I could
0: wing the rest of it and that
1: went um very well but then very poorly and uh you know I did improv with Daniel and David
0: Sure uh, Zamboni that, was the group I think
1: right Yeah that was enormous fun I I love I love improvisation Do you still do it You know just you know when my friends and I get on a get on like a a joke making spree a riff Sometimes going to character a riff yeah we'll riff for like a half hour
0: you mentioned uh, a few times now Trials of Tarnation, and I was kind of saving it because I-, I definitely want to talk about it. This is the web series you do with uh, with Derek, uh, Derek Walborn. Also an SU grad. Also an SU grad. Um, he's also written for College Humor. He did that Huey Hog article on College Humor, which is one of the most popular articles that's ever been on the site, I think. And, and influential, it seems. Very influential. Um, and that's in our new book, too. And uh, he... Uh, and also, I remember when I was watching Exit Through the Gift Shop, he randomly popped up, and I texted Dan to see if it was the same one, and it was. Uh, and you guys are making a web series. Tell me about that.
1: It's a web series, but it's also a movie. We've we've realized within the past couple episodes that it's going to be a movie, and that we're going to shoot supplemental material, and when all these web episodes come together, they're going to tell a full story.
0: Oh, They've gotten uh, a lot more ambitious, and um, every—because they're so handcrafted, it seems like every moment, every extra shot, uh, you can see so much more effort going into it. It's not just uh, a long— I I, I don't like that people are seeing effort into it, though. Like, you shouldn't be thinking about, oh, God, like Uh, how much
1: did they put in
0: this? I mean, well, first of all, hold on. You are shooting this on film and then getting it onto the Internet. You have to be the only person on Earth that's doing that at this point. Yeah, that's probably true. What kind of camera are you shooting on? We have an Airy BL and a, uh, a Bull X. Uh, and so it's p- part of the, which is obviously the difficult way to do this. You know, there's a way to shoot it on modern equipment and then make it look uh, like that. Though not, I'm not saying it'd be as good. I know um, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be quite it, as authentic. It could be better.
1: Who knows? But. We've we've, uh, we've started this, and I think we're going to finish it that way, for whatever it's worth.
0: But every little moment of it is very—there's um, there, a lot of art in it, which I, I hope I didn't— I, I like seeing uh, all the work that went into it, kind of, and uh, the, the, you know, nothing is done lazy. Like, you can tell that every frame has been handcrafted. It's a little bit troublesome when it comes to um, our production schedule.
1: This next episode has a train wreck in it. It has uh, three new characters and um, a starry sky and a sword. It's it's pretty um, it's pretty ambitious, but I, I love the way it's looking. It's really coming together.
0: Why do you shoot it on film? Um.
1: I don't know. I
0: have a lot of masochistic tendencies, but I honestly, it, should, it looks good. It looks very good. It does look very good. Uh, it it looks. Uh, I don't know why it reminds me of this. It almost reminds me of a Gumby cartoon. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Oh, you know what? I could maybe feel that a little bit. There's something like a little bit like ominous and sad about it.
0: And it's it's kind of of that era too. Of there's and something maybe that mentality. Yeah, th- and also there's stop motion animation in it.
1: Right, right, there's
0: that. So your goal is you're going to take all these, put them all together, and then that's going to be a movie?
1: Um, you might be skeptical based on what we've output right now, but um, the fourth episode should make it a little bit more clear that there's a substantial
0: plot uh, percolating beneath uh, beneath these three episodes. Do you have the rest of the arc planned out? Yeah, and boy, is it exciting how long do you think it's going to take you to finish the whole project?
1: Probably 18 years.
0: Because they've been coming out fairly slowly. Is that fair to say? Uh, not, not with any regularity. It's fair, it's fair to say that they're coming out very slowly. <laughs> but we might we might try to do a Kickstarter campaign soon to try and get it done in a timely manner,
1: which would be great for all of us and great for our lives and easy on my wallet.
0: I'm sorry I keep going back to the fact that shot on film, but I I, I, I I'm very curious... How do you edit it? It is edited not
1: on a flatbed, unfortunately.
0: I I assumed it wasn't, but, you know, the more we kept talking, I started to doubt it.
1: If you know anyone that has a flatbed, I would love to edit it on a flatbed, but it goes into my computer, and I do it on Final Cut.
0: The only reason you're not editing it with a razor blade is simply because those tools aren't available to you. I haven't
1: properly explored whether they are or not, Actually, I, I inquired at Syracuse whether they had any left, but, I mean, yeah, it's not around, man. If, if I have one, I would definitely probably consider using it.
0: Do you consider that you're putting them on the Internet when you're writing them? Are you writing for the Internet as a medium, or are these just short films to you? Early
1: on, it became apparent that it wasn't for the Internet. Like, the way the way it was edited, it was, we kind of edited it, it communally, and uh, Jeff wanted this emphasis on the characters, and he wanted to have character development. I think if it were just for the internet and it weren't going to be something bigger, you know, these first episodes should have been, you know, more like a minute apiece, but um, the decision's been made very slowly that it's going to be something bigger, and because of that, we're just going to go very big, and I think episodes from now on are just going to really feature some character arcs. And um, be as much about being funny as they are about lending curiosity to what's
0: to come. Your website, uh, I remember trying to talk you into adding an RSS feed back in the day, and I was just looking at the interview in the back of your book, and you talk about how you're not really into social media, but then, uh, you know, when we're uh, right before this interview, I went back to your website to look at some of my old favorites, and I noticed that you now have a Tumblr, you have a Twitter account, and you have all these. Or you don't have a Twitter account, but you have a share on Twitter button. But there is a Tumblr, and there is an RSS feed, and uh, there's at least one other way to keep up with the uh, content. Oh, there's a Facebook page, and I'm wondering that's that's a really sad
1: thing for me is that we have a Facebook page now.
0: What what changed? How come you uh, started one? Um, Jordan,
1: who I. I co-write uh, a lot of PDFs with. Uh, he put a lot of heat on me to, you know, get Facebook activated. But it comes down to the fact that I want to try and do a Kickstarter for Trails of Tarnation soon, and I want to make sure that we can uh, appeal to many people as possible. I probably shouldn't say it to the
0: PDF fans. I mean, maybe the Facebook, the Facebook is a good thing in your opinion. No, I think the PBF fans, uh, I do think it's a good thing, because I think the PBF fans, like myself, when they hear you need uh, a Kickstarter to make this thing you want to make, I'm excited to hear that you want to do that, and I'm anxious to help out, and I know I'm not the only one. I think there are people out there that when they hear that, um, that know your work and love your work, they're going to want to help you. You just need a way to get in touch with them, and that's, I think, what the Facebook page is for. Yeah, maybe that can help this definitely I, I think that's, the, that's the
1: idea the the idea is just to share a little more i've been i've been anti facebook um i guess my whole life but um you know certain tools probably accomplish certain things
0: i'm i'm ready for it i'm ready for the challenge how have you felt about it thus far i, I don't know i just don't like it when i look at it that's all do you I not mean, like it's, looking it's, at uh you know the people you went to high school with and the people you know, or is it managing the Perry Bible Fellowship on Facebook?
1: I just um, I guess it's just a, the amount of
0: text
1: I don't know seeing people with people with their little faces and little boxes on a
0: big, sad white blanket of text. I don't know something about it just looks sad. Well, I think you—I uh, don't want to say you need, but I think you could definitely use, um, and it would be appropriate for you to use, a tool to reach out to these people who are into your work, and you could help that um, get them to support you know, the next thing you want to do. But it doesn't have to necessarily be Facebook. There's Twitter. Um, you also have the Tumblr going. I, I, hate, I hate Twitter more. Really? I think Twitter—God, I think Twitter is almost, it's a little cleaner than Facebook— and that you know, you know does- what—that's what's so dangerous about it. It is perfect. It is beautiful. It's so
1: tasty. I'll be the first to say it's enticing. And but um, I think that's what repulses me about Facebook—is that it's so easy and wonderful and functional. Something about it just scares me a little bit. Well, t- I, I I might be wrong about all of this.
0: No, I don't. I don't think you're alone with your concerns. Tumblr maybe seems like a Nick Gerwich friendly medium. It's very image-based. I like how quiet it is. It's relatively... It's it's designed for... I think I've heard it said that it's designed for hipsters. I think that's who made it popular or, you know, who got there first, but I don't know that it was necessarily designed for their use exclusively. I I do find myself enjoying it. I think I I aspire
1: to be a a hipster to some degree.
0: What do you mean you aspire to be?
1: Like, uh, well, Tumblr's cool. Hipsters are cool.
0: Do you think you're cool?
1: Working on it, shooting on film, shooting on film. I mean,
0: that's the most history thing you can do. I must be cool. You're you're definitely cool. The Perry Bible Fellowship, uh, it's huge. I think it's almost. I think it's very clearly the best. I'm I'm going to say it. I don't embarrass you. It's the best webcomic of all time. It's almost its own thing though, because you didn't do the things that other people do. It wasn't about putting one out every week and, uh, you know, having a Twitter account and all those things. It, it was just its own thing, and it, it made its own rules. I, I hope it can continue to do that. I hope I can break some rules with it soon. Can you ever see yourself going back to regularly publishing the Perry Bible Fellowship as a comic? Yeah, when I'm 70, and, I, and I'll i be comfortable sitting at a at a desk for my job. Because you've published, since you you know stopped doing them regularly in 2008, there's been maybe 10, is that right? Something like that. What, what inspires you to kind of go back to it? Um,
1: I don't know. I think um, sometimes when uh, I'm writing with Evan and Jordan, we'll have an idea that is really good. Usually, for many years, it was the case that we would have PBFs ideas that were too complicated to be a comic strip. And so we've been amassing all these sketches and uh, stories. But uh, now and again, sometimes we'll have a a comedy idea that is, you know, too simple to be uh, a movie. So we, you know, this happened with the Uncle Wilcox cartoon. Which one was that? Oh, it's got the the kids with the, uh, playing like gladiators, like in in a... large playpen and uncle or no uncle Duncan uncle Duncan releases a lion oh yes 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 on the kids I I was referring to him by the his working title which is uncle Wilcox but uncle Duncan releases the lion and uh, I think that might have been birthed to be a sketch I'm not sure but it just turned out you know it was a good little story it felt unique enough you know, I I loved that twist at the end, and I just I hadn't really seen it in the
0: PBF yet, so I said I can do this one. What was the decision-making process uh, from changing his name from Wilcox to Duncan? Uh, <laughs> Wilcox, I think that's what uh,
1: I think Jordan might have written it out as Wilcox, and it, it just it was never the right name. It's a terrible first name. <laughs> but the joke was funny. So we, I don't know, we kind of fell in love with Wilcox, but right before it got published, you know, I just got to thinking, you know, this, we can't go forward with Wilcox, even though we, we loved it. So, um, we just brainstormed some, some, uh, names that would more likely be the first name of like a suburban uncle and, uh, Duncan seemed nice and upper class. And I, I think it has a nice phonetic relationship with Uncle.
0: It's a funny, you know, K-sounds are funny. Are they? I think so. I think K-sounds are traditionally funny, you know, like uh cuckoo. You know what, the
1: Ku Klux, the Ku Klux Klan?
0: That's yeah. the silliest sounding name in the world. You yeah, think about
1: it. yeah. That's, it, it's like the name of a clown jamboree.
0: Before we end, I want to get back to just how good your comic is. If only because I'm excusing... Uh, my performance earlier, where I just didn't even know how to describe it because I'm not sure how exactly to measure its success, but there was definitely a time where I was showing the book to everyone I know and saying, you should check this out, and then at some point it became a thing where I could just expect people to be familiar with it. It's really permeated the culture. I don't think when someone loves it that they totally forget about it, but I, I think the people, I think traffic would signify
1: that it's not... uh as well attended as it once was,
0: but there's still steady traffic, even though you haven't been doing it for years.
1: I, yeah, my webmaster did mention that with this last posting, it got pretty good traffic.
0: People want it back, Nick. Any chance I can talk you into doing a graphic novel? Can I talk you into doing a graphic novel? I, I have graphic novels. What do you mean you've been haven't... working on? Oh, you? Well, I've, I've I've got a
1: few that I've drafted up. I don't know if the PBF will ever be
0: be back though. Wait, I thought you said uh, when you're 70. Uh, I guess maybe then you could say it's back.
1: I was trying to um, tell my friend how I felt about this matter, about the PBF being back. There's always a lot of talk about it being back whenever there's an update. And uh, I tried to tell him that it's it's similar to sex and that if you don't have sex for a year and then you have sex, you don't have to like shout and dance around and say sex is back. Sex is back. You know, it's back. It's it's no. It's just that you had sex, and the PDF. I don't think is ever going to go weekly again. Maybe it will when I'm seventy, but until then, these like these new comics are just going to be like, you know, events that are a little bit isolated, and that just because, you know, me and the, the audience make love in, in, in the midst of these events, so to speak, it, it, I don't know if it signifies that there's any return to a, a certain piece, it just happens.
0: I guess not, but the thing is, I think there's very few people that could release one small three to four panel comic, I don't mean to call them small, I don't mean to belittle them, but you know what I'm saying, one comic strip, that's, what I, that's how I describe the size. I don't think there's many people that could release one comic strip every six months or so, and every time they put one out, people are interested. And I think you're going to be able to do that for a while. I think that speaks to the body of work that you've developed that, I think, for the foreseeable future— you can do this, and whenever you do, people will be interested, and they're going to check. Them out.
1: Only if they're screaming about the PBF being back. I think I think that's the reason why it gets so much attention is people say PBF is back, PBF is back, but it's it's really just a matter of time before they realize that the PBF is crying wolf, and that
0: you know, well, well be back even legitimately. if it will, you know, even if it's not back legitimately, I still for the rest of time want to know whenever you have a new comic out I, I <laughs> even if I can't even if they're not weekly I'll take what I can get <laughs> that's great that's I would. Lo- that's
1: nice to think
0: I think I'm not the only one uh, thank you so much for you know making time to talk to me tonight Nick uh, we've seen Jeff, each other I enjoy talking to you I know we've seen each other so many times over the years but I feel like this is the first time we've sat down and talked for a straight hour and it, it was really a oh dream. yeah legitimately I
1: yeah um, we'll have to do it again.
0: Sometimes. Yeah, let me know when you're in New York. I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted. Always good talking to you, Nick. Thanks again. All right, man. Take care. You too. Don't stop listening just yet because we have another follow-up interview for you. I am here right now in The flesh with Patrick Castles.
2: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me back.
0: And, uh, Pat and I, at the end of August, we had an episode where we talked about all the summer movies, but there was one that neither of us had a chance to see, which was Pirates of the Caribbean 4. And considering how completionist we were with all the rest of the movies, the fact that we didn't get to see it maybe says something about how excited we were.
2: Right, right. And we wanted to see it. I feel like just fate kept us out of the theater. Yeah, like, I just
0: didn't want to try that hard. But it's out on DVD now, so we have seen it, and we can now report that you don't have to. That was my thought. What did you think of the movie?
2: Uh, I, I was not a huge fan either. And I, the more I think about it, though, it, it made me realize how much of a fan I actually am of the original three, which is something I might not have said six months ago.
0: I love the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I think that's a wonderful, fun, breezy movie. I can watch it any time. I don't hate the second and the third one, which I think puts mm-hmm. me above average for most people. I think they are not particularly well-liked.
2: Well, you know, the thing about the second and third one, they weren't... They were bad. There are things bad about them, but they were bad in a way that blockbuster sequels usually aren't bad. They're not lazy. Yeah. They're not like they weren't just like writing a lazy just repeating the same plot. They they, they just all they just built upon the first, the second movie, the third movie and it's just bad in a different way that's kind of impressive. They just crammed everything in there. I thought what was
0: interesting about Pirates of the Caribbean 4 is that it seems like to an extent, they took the lessons that they learned from the second and third one because you know they got rid of Orlando simplify Bloom. Simplify the
2: plot, but they
0: Simpli- didn't yeah. really simplify it. It's just as complex in the second and third one. There's this scene in, in this is in Pirates of the Caribbean four where they're walking to the Fountain of Youth and uh, Penelope Cruz is ex- who, by the way, I, is she was she ever a good actress? I'm not sure. And Penelope Cruz is Penelope Cruz is explaining to Johnny Depp that she Johnny Depp says something like, "Okay, so." There's two cups, and the mermaid's tear goes in one cup, and whoever drinks the other cup gets the life of it. And I was like, uh oh, I see where this is going.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was noth- It wasn't as epically complex as the third one, where you know it's just these three movies tying in each other. I-, I do agree that it was pretty complicated. There's the first a, movie, a scene, yeah. the first Pirates should, yeah. of the
0: Caribbean movie has this great gimmick where if you steal the gold coin, then you are cursed and you're yeah. a zombie. And with that very simple rule, they have a lot of fun. A lot of like fun kind of mechanics just spring out of that. Like Johnny Depp steals it at an inopportune moment, right where he gets stabbed. Yeah. So then he, you know, saving himself. And they have a lot of fun with that one simple rule. And this movie, it's so it's kind of the same thing. They're trying to recreate these like fun, re- yeah, these yeah. fun
2: like. There's a scene I think in every one of the sequels where three or four characters are, like standing opposite each other and. All of them can't do one thing, and they're throwing things between each other. And it's—I think—in their brain, it's like, "Isn't this a fun set of circumstances?" But for me, I was kind of like, "Wait, what is who? Who needs the chalice, and who can't fire the gun, and who's dead?" I don't think it was that complicated. I—I I think that's maybe where we disagree. I thought it was—I I do. I. Wish it was more complicated, actually. That sounds probably insane. But... It felt
0: like a lot of it was working backwards. Mm-hmm. Like that scene where they're explaining the cups and how you have to have the right thing in the right cup, even yeah. the cups, like that's obviously they had a scene they wanted to end with and worked backwards to get there. And a really good example of that is uh, in the movie, uh, Blackbeard has to convince Johnny Depp that he's willing to shoot someone for whatever reason. And Johnny Depp doesn't believe him. And he says, Okay, well, I'll tell you what. And he just turns to his assistant he says, get me six guns, load two of them, and don't tell me which one. And then he makes Johnny Depp pick one to fire at the person that he's trying to convince him he's willing to kill. Uh, and I was watching and I was like, pick, load two of them? Who would, why would he say load two of them? Right. And then Johnny Depp's like, oh, well, they're not loaded. And he fires one in the air and it's lo- and it, it goes off. And I was like, oh, that's why he said to load two of them. So Johnny Depp could have this moment where he fires the gun into the air. Right.
2: Well, ma- that, clearly Blackbeard knew that Jack would do that. And Always one step ahead. <laughs> Always
0: thinking one step ahead in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. They also, you know, I think they recognized that the uh, Will Turner, uh, Orlando Bloom, and Kira Knightley plot was kind of dragging the movies down, which was correct. Mm-hmm. But then they replaced it with this other priest who's even less interesting and more bland.
2: Yeah, there, there was the uh, – yeah, kind of an odd religious theme going through that movie because there was the, the priest. And then – and this was – Uh, The very I I was I almost appreciated the randomness of it, but when the Spanish finally show up to like claim the Fountain of Youth, he actually just destroys the chalices. Remember? Because and he's like he's like only God should have only Christ should have power, not your pagan gods. It's like what? It's like calm down, Jerry Bruckheimer, (laughs) giving your two cents on the you know history of Christianity. There were parts of the movie I liked. I I thought the mermaid attack was pretty cool. Probably the best mermaids
0: I've seen since Hook.
2: Well, I think that was that was probably the best part of the movie because it was the most supernatural part and the most imaginative. And that, that's the, another thing I like about the, the first three is just how they had this awesome, like Gothic fantasy mythology stuff. And it was just such a such, I got whiplash because it, it slowed down so much from the third one, the third one where you have like a, uh, there's, you know, he's in he- He's in, he's in like weird desert hell with 35 copies of himself. There's this, uh, pirate ship fight in a whirlpool yeah there's, there's a, a god i think monsters. there's like a
0: god rises off the ship right isn't the yes, lady she yes she turns out to be? yeah
2: and then in this one it's just like you know uh he's just it's it's such a step back you know it's like oh blackbeard has the blackbeard can move ropes around his ship at his will with a sword which isn't explained oh i actually kind of like that i did like uh one of the main
0: reasons I wanted to watch this movie, which I didn't think was going to be great, was uh, Ian McShane mm-hmm. as Blackbeard. Ian McShane is Swearingen on Deadwood. Yeah. And when I heard he was playing Blackbeard in this movie, I was like, sold. And he really is Swearingen the pirate with cleaned-up language. But I was watching the movie, and about 45 minutes in, I turned to my girlfriend, and I was like, is it
2: Swearingen in this movie? It takes a while for him to show up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was the shortest of the bunch, I feel like. it was. I think it was like a... Sl- uh, a- a slim two hours and 15 minutes. Um, I thought that it's funny you mentioned Ian e. McShane though, because I think one kind of interesting thing now that they've gotten rid of Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley, and they not including the, the, the priest that they've replaced him with, who's not really a big part of the movie. Um, you now have a, a series of big budget adventure movies starring Jeffrey Rush, Ian McShane, uh, Johnny Depp. And uh, and the, that mutton chop pirate who's like just a supporting player in the yeah. rest of him he like he's a main character now. There's a whole subplot. Yeah. It's just him and Barbosa. So it's like Jeffrey Rush and this British character actor running around. Like you never think like this. You never think a, a Orlando Bloom franchise would go in that direction.
0: I'm, I want to call out Pirates of the Caribbean for gross misuse of the word zombies. There's already too much zombie stuff out there with people calling things that aren't zombies zombies. I think maybe it fits the very traditional Caribbean definition of zombies, but uh,
2: yeah, I believe it's. He said they, they never. He said they've been zombified, but they're basically just so. big, strong
0: dudes that don't talk a lot. Like they could have just been silent characters, and it would have been fine. And what,
2: what what was the glass coffin? Remember, there's a gla- it's I very, honestly don't. Uh, Blackbeard's power is very abstract. They don't really explain it quite quite a bit. Like he himself is supernatural, and yet he wants this like chalice of eternal life. It's kind of strange. Do you think they are going to make Pirates of the Caribbean five? I I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, did this one make money? I guess that's the big I think question. It made some
0: money, but it looked like it, I'm like I'm sure no one broke on it. I think it's as far as I can tell. It's pretty much up to Johnny Depp. If he shows up,
2: they're making that movie. I, I imagine they will, but they kind of hedge their bets. Unlike Pirates of the Caribbean two, this one ends pretty. You know, has a complete end. They they all well they all end with I guess spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert it ends with Johnny Depp wanting more adventure. <laughs> But you know, they they, they they have these great endings that could if they wanted to do another one it would totally make sense, but if not it just has this nice adventurous sort of finale line. The problem is they should have ended it with the last one. You can't end with 4. Yeah. Going beyond 3 movies, you're committing to making an eternal number. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: I th- I want to thank you though cuz the other movie that I hadn't seen but you had when we recorded the episode was Attack the Block, oh, yeah. which I saw based on your uh, extremely passionate recommendation. And it was totally fucking awesome. You were right. And I just want to re... I I almost don't want to talk about it because when we were recording the episode, we were talking about how much more fun Planet of the Apes would have been, which we both really liked. And I think now that I have some distance from it, I actually like that movie a little more. We had recorded that episode like immediately after seeing it. That's cool. But how much better the movie would be if, if you didn't know that it ended with the apes descending upon San Francisco. And I'm not holding that against anyone. Like, if you got a shot of a
2: gorilla attacking a helicopter, yeah. you got
0: to put that in your commercial. I mean, what, are
2: you crazy? <laughs> Even if you don't have it, you know, find a way to work theirs in there. But what made Attack the Block so
0: great, and it was a, gr- it was a great movie. It would have been great no matter what. But I went in really not knowing anything, what it, uh, anything about it. I had no idea who was in it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where the plot was going to go. And it's so rare and so exciting to see a movie where you really don't know anything about it.
2: Yeah. I, and I even I went in knowing the broad strokes. I knew it was kind of alien invasion movie set in this very specific part of London. Uh, and it still like did not it went in directions I didn't expect it to. I kind of I had a movie when I heard that basic premise. I kind of had a movie in mind and I had seen uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens, which kind of is the same thing mixing genres. And it just shows you they, they just handle it in such a, a different way. And yeah, really, it really is pretty awesome. It even had like it just works on so many levels. It even has like some a message to say, which is you know, I, I want people, I want
0: to, I want people to go see this movie. and I don't want it to, I don't want to tell them anything else. I want them to have the same uh, experience we
2: did. But you know, I, but also oh,
0: everyone talked like Ali G. Just one.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the, I had seen it saw it with a friend. He met. He said that at one point they considered doing it with uh, subtitles. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know.
0: I, I understand it.
2: Yeah, you kind of. It takes you a few minutes, but you, you get into it. I'm surprised people aren't like quoting it more. I'm not sure it blew up quite as much as we were thinking no. it would at the time. It seemed like it had this potential to be like. And I mean, people do like it, and I think it's a, a success by most measures. But I think I thought maybe it was gonna like go sort of go the full Monty. Yeah. Well, well I'm both using that. As the phrase and as the movie title.
0: Well, if you're like me and Pat and your favorite subgenre of film is John Carpenter movie, Mm. you should go see Attack the Block or when it's finally out on DVD and it's uh, available. Couldn't recommend it enough. Pat, thanks so much for uh, coming back to the show. Let's do this again soon.
2: Definitely. Thanks for having me. (laughs) was fun. Let's review.
0: If you want to check out the Perry Bible Fellowship, maybe you'd like to have some idea what the hell we were talking about for the first 45 minutes of the show, go to pbfcomics.com. Can't say enough about it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Also check out trialsoftarnation.com. Uh there's really nothing else like it online. Thank you again to Nick. Thank you again to Pat. Coming up on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, more amazing guests. Next week, Amir Blumenfeld. You know him from Jake and Amir, but also he is going to be in Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas Spectacular Extravaganza. We're going to be talking about that. Also coming on the show is Adam Cornelius, who directed a documentary called The Ecstasy of Order about competitive Tetris. I cannot wait to learn more about that, and maybe I shouldn't mention this next one because it produced... Hours of recordings, and I have no idea how long it's going to take me to edit it, but there is going to be a Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show that is me, uh, The Return of Pat Castles, we're going to have him back on soon after all, Uh, Sarah Schneider is going to be there from Saturday Night Live and College Humor, and Adam Frucci from Split Cider, and we are all going to be playing the Battlestar Galactica board game. It took three hours. I don't know how long it's going to take me to put it down to a digestible length, but it's going to happen, and you'll know when it happens if you follow me on Twitter. That's at JeffRubinShow. On Tumblr at JeffRubinJeffRubin.com. We were just talking to Nick about Tumblr. Everyone loves Tumblr. Uh, there's also the Facebook fan page. And don't forget the new option. There is the enhanced version of the show with pictures at YouTube.com slash Rubin. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.